All right, uh, real quick, um, I think children are heading out, right, for children's ministry, and I uh, just wanted to bring our attention to a couple of things. First of all, my name is Doug, I'm the pastor here at Parkview East, and it's a joy to be able to worship with you this morning. Um, if you want to look in the back real quick, Renee Pickard, if you could raise your hand, everybody look at Renee. Hi, Ray, how's it going, Renee? And um, also, Ronnie Smith right here in the front. Ronnie, could you stand up and wave your hand? Ronnie, all right, give it up for Ronnie, all right. These are two of our um, two new staff members that we have here at Parkview East as of June 1. And so Renee, you'll recognize her. She has been serving out at the front with Children's Ministry since Parkview East has started. And it's official that as of June 1, she's now a part-time staff member here at Parkview East to help us kind of serve as our Children's Ministry Director. So that's exciting news. And then Ronnie here is actually starting, as of June 1, a pastoral internship here at Parkview East. And he'll be helping out specifically with spot, youth, and also community groups. And so if you want to get connected to a community group, Ronnie will be the man that you can connect with moving forward. So welcome, Ronnie. Um, and so we're excited to have them kind of in an official part-time uh, capacity serving here at Parkview East to have some more staff that can help serve. Um, and you, you, you recognize them, like I said, they've been here, um, a part of Parkview. Um, Renee, how long have you and Jeremy been a part of Parkview? Eight years. And Ronnie and Connie, you guys have been? Three years. Three years? Okay, so faithful members here serving in different capacities, and so it's welcome. Glad to have you on the team. Um, want to also give a quick announcement. This past weekend, I believe um, last Sunday night, I believe it was, there was a block party uh, at Weatherby Park that we hosted, that a community group here really hosted at Parkview East. And there was over 250 people that attended this block party, and so it was wildly successful by all measures. Um, and on the tails of that, we are actually hosting next week something called Community Kids Days, and so an event to kind of get in connection with this, the kids in the neighborhood around this area, to, to reach out, build relationships, to share God's word with them, and so Lisa is going to just share a few details. We, as you can imagine, 250, 300 kids, people at this block party, uh, we're hoping that there will be a lot of students at the Community Kids Days, and so there's going to be a need for some help. Um, Lisa, give some details. Come up here and get a microphone, Lisa. Give it up for Lisa. All right. Yes, we're really praising God for last weekend when there were like 250, 300 people that joined us at Weatherby Park and were touched by Jesus through the hands and feet of people right here. So uh, we do need volunteers. This we're hoping and probably going to have a number of those kids back. So I'm going to be out at a counter after the service, and you can come and sign up. There's lots of things you can help with, uh, crafts, games, small groups, and also just mingling with the parents or loving the kids. Amen. So uh, we really would love to have more from our body to come alongside. It's a great way to get to know each other. You know, serving together is a way to really get to know each other. And, uh, yeah. So, lastly, I uh, just want to say that it, serving together will be very powerful 
picture to the community of Jesus' love. That's all. Amen. Thank you. Um, and also, just one, actually, I will point out one new addition that, yeah. We want to help, direct them to Lisa. How about Lisa? Anybody who wants to help, find Lisa after service. How about that? Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Um, also, we'll point out a new, another new addition. You perhaps noticed this last week, but we have a new um, duct that we ran across. So if you have been worshiping here the last couple of years, you will appreciate the new distribution of air. All right? I will as well. One aim right at me. I see more people have already figured out because we got people sitting over here, so that's that's exciting. Um, personally, very excited about that this this week. So, um, I'm trying to think if there's one more thing. Oh, also another fun thing that we're doing today. If you are new, um, we don't do this every week. We haven't done it for a while. But there's going to be I don't know a lot of the details other than food following the service out there in the lobby. So perhaps you guys know about that already. A potluck. Maybe you brought a meal. If you didn't, we would encourage you to stay and take part in the food and the fellowship following the service, all right? So that's exciting Amen. as well. Yes, indeed. All right, as a church this summer, we are kind of looking at the life of David, and we're looking um, at some stories throughout his life, and also looking at some psalms um, that were written by David. And so um, this, this week, I'm going to actually um, direct our attention. We're going to look at Psalm 63, and I'll invite you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and open up. Um, the Bible, your Bible to Psalm 63. If you do not have a Bible, there are some in the back table. You can just put your hand up and somebody will come around and stick one in it. All right, so Psalm 63 <laughs> is where we are at this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and read for us and then, then I'll pray for our time together. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, as we open up your word together, this morning, I pray that you would remind us that it is just that. This is your word. Spirit, I pray now that you would 
reveal to us your son through this word that the Father may be glorified. Lord, I pray you would take these words that are eternal and that are true, Lord, and that you would write them on our very hearts. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. I don't know if there's anything in life for you that you like the idea of more than you actually like doing it. For example, maybe for some of you it's running, okay? Let's just, as an example, maybe some of you this morning like the idea of running. Like you see people out downtown Iowa City running in the streets and it looks like a good idea, but then you lace up the shoes, you get out there and it just takes a few steps before you realize you don't like it, okay? Maybe it's coffee, right? The idea of drinking coffee sounds fun and fantastic until you actually lift the cup up to your mouth and take a sip. Maybe for you it's coffee. You like the idea of drinking coffee, but when it comes to drinking coffee, you actually don't like it. One of the things for me personally um, that I've kind of, there's a number of those things for me um, that I could say I like the idea of, but I don't actually like itself. Um, One of the things I've discovered in the last couple years for me has been gardening, okay? (laughs) I like the idea of gardening, right? The idea when we bought our house a couple years ago, we, we designated kind of a plot of land and established a garden. And the idea of being somebody who, who grows vegetables, who plants seeds and sees them spring up from the earth and harvests them and eats them, it just sounds so fantastic. Getting your, your fingers in the soil and dirt under the fingernails and, and just working the ground. Right? It sounds like a fantastic idea, but, but when you're out there in July and the hot sun is beating down on you and you're pulling weeds, like, I'm just going to be real, there's nothing fun about it for me. I like the idea of gardening, but I'm, I don't really like gardening so much. The first year that we put our garden in, we had a variety of different plants that we established in the garden. One of those was was peppers, right? We planted a variety of different peppers. We designated one bed. This was the pepper bed. We had sweet peppers. We had jalapeno peppers. We had peppers in that bed. And what we noticed with that bed is as the peppers grew, like they stayed in that bed. They stayed on that plant. There was one plant that just kept producing peppers at the end of the year. We would pick the plant, come back the next year, and the bed would would be totally empty. Nothing in the bed. So we had, that's how peppers kind of work. They stay in their bed. Another plant that we planted that year was cilantro. We had, we like to eat a lot of cilantro. It makes its way into almost all of our dishes. We like cilantro. And so we designated a portion of a bed for cilantro. Well, if you've ever planted cilantro before, you know it does not grow like the pepper. All right? There's no really containing. You can't plant it in a bed like you would plant a pepper, right? What we notice is as we begin to pick it and use it, it would just kind of spread throughout that bed and, and even into other beds, even into the path. Like if you were to walk through our garden now some two, three years after we planted the cilantro, you could still find cilantro growing all over our garden. It's a very, very different vegetable than the pepper. It grows up everywhere. It spreads. It seeps out of the soil. You can't contain it, right? This morning, the the topic that we're going to talk about with Psalm 63 is worship. And, And really, my hope, it's a very simple hope, 
My aim this morning is to just help you with Psalm 63, worship well. And where peppers and cilantro are concerned, for me they're helpful in understanding maybe how I used to view worship and how I currently view worship and, and what God is teaching me about worship. See, when I used to think of worship, I used to think of worship like the pepper, right? There was a space in which worship happened. There was a time in which that was designated specifically for worship. And it stayed in that space and in that time. And that's what worship was. It was an event. It was something that you would go to, you would participate in. There would be other people that would have a clear starting time and a clear ending time. And that was the bed in which worship existed. I used to think worship was kind of like the pepper. But as I have grown in my understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, more specifically a worshiper of Jesus, seeing that worship is actually more like cilantro. Worship, done accordingly to how we see it here in Psalm 63 and throughout the Bible, is something that happens throughout every area of our life. Worship should be seeping out of the soil of our life. It isn't contained by a place. Like this morning, for example, powerful worship here. Powerful worship here that we had this morning. We are in the process of having a worship service. There definitely is a time and a space that we gather together for the purpose of worship. But worship doesn't just stay in this building. Right? It doesn't just, it's not just restricted to 10.30 to 11.30 on Sunday mornings, right? As followers of Jesus, as worshipers of Jesus, worship should be seeping out of every area of our life. Now, what I'm going to do this morning may be a little different. As we look at Psalm 63, I just have a, a few points I want to make, and, and we're going to spend more time in the beginning, like in the fall, talking specifically about worship. And honestly, what I want to do this morning is begin a conversation. Is begin a conversation about not just what is worship, what does it look like, but more specifically, as the conversation continues, what does worship look like at Parkview East? And even more specifically than that, what does, part, what does worship look like in your life? So we'll start the conversation now. And we'll continue it in the fall. Psalm 63 is going to help us do just that. So my goal this morning is just to help you worship well. Um, first of all, let's just define what is Christian worship. Quick definition, this is one that's helpful for me, is that Christian worship is the natural and delightful response to who God is and what God does. I'll say that one more time. Christian worship is the natural and delightful response to both who God is and what God does, okay? Now, first point, I think, as we look at Psalm 63 and we consider David who wrote this particular psalm, the first thing to help us understand how to worship well, you have to start with a proper recognition of who you are. Who you are. Some of you this morning, so the first point is just simply recognize who you are. 
Some of you may be here this morning and may not consider yourself a particularly religious person. Maybe you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian. And so you may say, well, this, this subject, this topic, this message has nothing to say about how I should live my life because, well, I'm not a religious person and I certainly am not a Christian, so therefore I am not a worshiper. And I would suggest that you are. Even if you say to yourself that you are not a religious person or you are not a Christian person, you still, everyone in this room, still is a worshiper. Uh, one of the most influential, innovative authors of the last 30 years, a man by the name of David Foster Wallace, at a, a, a famous commencement speech he gave at Kenyon College, I think in 05, um, he, he said this, and I think it's really helpful for our conversation this morning. He said, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. As you consider your adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing, he says, as not worshiping. Everybody, he contends, worships. The only choice you and I have is what we worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God over spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much everything else we worship will eat you alive. Money, well, there'll never be enough of that. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. David Foster Wallace says in his commencement speech that we are all worshipers. The only choice we have in life is to what we intend that worship, to where we direct that worship. What he is suggesting here goes against really a modern understanding of, of man as primarily a thinking creature, right? The idea that was established and through, you know, modern history was that, that we are primarily thinking beings, right? The, this is a view of humans as rational creatures defined above all else by our thought, right? Maybe you're familiar with the 17th century French philosopher, René Descartes, who summed up this understanding with his famous maxim, I think, therefore, I am. We are all thinkers. We are all, as people, we are all thinkers. We are all believers. But what David Foster Wallace understands and suggests is that at our very core of who we are, we are lovers. We are lovers. And our ultimate love, our ultimate, like when you peel away the layers of who you are on the surface, what you find deep down inside of you, your ultimate love, the thing in your life that you give the most to, that you think the most of, that thing, your ultimate love is what you worship. Worshiping is simply not a choice. And so as we think about what does it look like to be a worshiper, to worship well, maybe some of you here this morning would maybe say, this is an area of my life I would like to see really myself do better in is, is worshiping the Lord, giving myself to the Lord. I would suggest that your problem really is not a worship problem. Your problem is primarily a love problem. You don't have a problem worshiping. Like, we all worship something. 
But the problem we may have is, what do we love? What do we love? If you were to just examine the book, walk through the book of John, you would see one of the things that Jesus does regularly in the Gospel of John and throughout his ministry is he asks really interesting questions. He's always asking questions. And in the book of John, if you were to go through and just kind of highlight one question after another, you, you would see Jesus kind of getting to this point. In fact, the very first words that he speaks in the book of John is a question, right? It's, it's this question of, as Jesus, you know, John is baptizing, he's on the scene, and he has his followers, and, and his followers begin to follow Jesus, and Jesus turns around, and he asks them a simple question. He asks them, what are you seeking? Or, in other words, what do you want? And then if you were to go all the way to the end of the book of John and you were to see this, this awesome restoration and interaction that Jesus has with Peter, he asks Peter a question. He asks him the same question three times. Ultimately, the question that he's asking him is, Peter, what do you love? Do you love me, Peter? That's the question he's asking him. And all throughout his life, all throughout his ministry, one question after another, getting to the surface of what is at the center of who we are. What is our ultimate love? To whom, to what do we ascribe our greatest allegiance to? That is what Jesus is after. That's why when he's asked the question, what is the, the greatest commandment? Do I have to keep all of these commandments? Which is the most important one? Jesus' answer is simple. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Jesus wants to be your love. And he doesn't just want to compete with other loves, right? Jesus is not, loving Jesus is not simply a convenient addition to your life. Like when you think about who you are as a person. When you think about the types of things you enjoy doing and, and, and all of the, the things that you spend your time, your money, your efforts to, Jesus doesn't want to just be in a, a convenient addition to your life, like he's one of the many things you participate in. He wants to be a consuming addiction, an obsession. He wants to be the very center of your heart. If you were to go through Psalm 63 and just listen to the words that David, as he describes God and how his soul desires and longs and craves. I mean, it's summed up great in verse 3. Because your love, your steadfast love is better than life. As David takes inventory of his life, right? And there's no more precious thing that we have in this world than our life. Right? If you had a sickness, if you had an illness, what you wouldn't give to be healthy again, to be restored to health, you would give just about anything, regardless of the cost, because life is the most precious gift that we have. And what David recognizes is that God's steadfast love, his love for David, a man who is in desperate need of it, who is broken, who's made one mistake after another, as we looked at last week, God doesn't hold his love back. And as a result, as David looks on the inside of who he is, as he gazes in the sanctuary of how awesome and amazing his God is, and sees that his love for David has no bounds, his response is, your love, God, is better than life. And because of that, it's his response to that, my lips will praise you. 
I will worship you. As you peel away the layers of your life, of who you are, your identity, at the very center, the greatest allegiance, the greatest love that you have, if it's not God, your worship problem, my friends, is really a love problem. It's a love problem. We gather here on Sunday mornings as we have worship and we sing songs and we proclaim God's word. Our hope on these Sunday mornings is to help, help cultivate and direct and remind you of how awesome God is and to stir your love and affection for him. This is not, this worship that we do here is not the only place that you worship. If this is the only place that you worship, I would contend that, that God's not your greatest love. He's not your greatest love. That's a problem. What we see in verse, in chapter 63, when it starts off in verse 1, is we see that, that, first of all, you have to have a proper recognition of who you are. You are ultimately, I am ultimately a lover, right? Next thing you have to learn is there a recognition in verse 60, chapter 63, verse 1, of who God is. Now, I want you to just look above, if you have your Bibles open, above verse 1, and you'll see that there is a heading for this particular psalm. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness. At this particular point in David's life, we know that David, he's in the wilderness. He is on, he's on the run. He's on the run. This is not, you know, if you think of David, if you're familiar with his story, and when he was in, when Saul was in pursuit of him and David was in the wilderness, this is not that time. We know in verse 11 because he calls himself a king. So at some point in David's reign, he was in the wilderness. He was king and he was in the wilderness. When was that? Well, that was when Absalom, perhaps you know the story, um, it happens in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15, when Absalom conspired to steal the hearts, we learn in verse 6, stole the hearts of the men of Israel. His own son is going out conspiring against his father David to try and usurp his power and take over his kingdom. And as a result, he chases him. David flees out of Jerusalem. He leaves. And, and really, this wasn't just an attempt to steal the hearts of men. It was an attempt by Absalom to steal the throne. As a result, he fled, went out into the wilderness. And that's when most people think this psalm was written. And David writes these words and he says, Oh God, you are my God. These are important words for a number of reasons. First of all, it, it tells us, it declares the object of David's worship. His worship is directed towards God. He goes on throughout the psalm to describe his God who is the object of his affection. This God who has power, who has glory, who provides shelter with which David takes refuge. This God is the sustainer. He is the protector and he is the provider. Everything that flows is hinged on this first verse. Oh God, you are my God. See, David's worship starts and is shaped with a proper understanding of who God is. He understands who God is. He begins the psalm with a declaration of who God is, and he ends the psalm in verse 11, again reminding us who God is. He recognizes who God is. The next thing that's important about this verse is that he doesn't just recognize who God is. He also acknowledges that there is a relationship between him and his God. Oh, God, you are my God. You are my God. This is a God who David knows well and who knows David well. He says, I have looked upon you. 
I remember you. He describes himself as clinging to him, that God upholds him. This is a unique and a special relationship. If you go throughout David's life, you would say that he had, in many ways, historically speaking, he is known as somebody who has a close, intimate relationship with God. And Solomon, his son, when he would follow after his father, he says this, you have shown, he cries out to God, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. Solomon saw the unique the awesome relationship that David had with God and what his prayer was as he would step onto the throne and assume the reign as king, his prayer was that he could have that unique, special relationship with God. He wants what David had. Between God and David, there was a relationship that hinges on a commitment that would go all the way back to his commitment to Abraham in Genesis 17:7, where he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants and after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This covenant, this, this commitment that God made to Abraham, David sees himself as, as, as continuing this special, unique relationship. He had a unique relationship with God. Now, the good news about this story, about the Bible, about the gospel message, is that you don't have to be king of Israel to have a special, unique relationship with God, right? This side of the cross, this side of the resurrection, you don't have to be of a particular bloodline or heritage to have a unique relationship with God. We learn in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteousness. Why for the unrighteous? That he might bring us to God. The work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, folks, is what allows you and me to have a relationship like what we see here in Psalm 63, David displaying for us to learn from. The relationship that he had was unique. It was special. And you know what? The good news this morning is that it's accessible to you and me because of what Jesus did on the cross, right? That if we cry out like Solomon did, that he would have a unique relationship with God. God has already provided a way for you and me to be in his presence, to be made right with him, right? He has given us his son. He has not held back. Do you know him, right? You recognize who you are. You are a lover. You are in need. Do you know God like David does? Right? As he talks about thinking of him on his bed, and his thoughts are consumed with him in the watches of the night. This is a man who is consumed with a, 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 an obsession for God, a love for God. And what's his response? Third point is just to see his response. Based on David's understanding of who God is and his relationship to God, David has two different ways that he responds throughout the psalm. If you would read through the psalm and just pull out the different words, we see that David has one response that could be characterized as a craving and another response that could be characterized as a savoring. Craving first. As the psalm opens, we get a sense that God seems to be distant, right? We know that David is in the wilderness. Physically, he's on the run, 
right? Physically, David's in the wilderness. But this wilderness doesn't just characterize his physical position. It also sheds light on his spiritual condition. He's in the wilderness. He's seeking. He's thirsting. He's thanking. God seems to be distant. This is a man after God's own heart. And now he's tasted the bitterness of betrayal. His own son wants his throne. And David is on the run. God seems to be distant. And as he's on the run in the wilderness, he remembers who God is. He considers all that God has done. And yet again, for some reason, God seems to be distant. Folks, when you, there are times in our life, in my life, and in your life, where we will be in the wilderness. There will be times physically, maybe, we may be isolated, we may be, we may be socially, there may be angst, there may be tension, there may be frustration with people that are in our life that we love, there may be sickness, there may be times, there will be times when you will be in the wilderness. It may be physical, it will definitely be spiritual times when you feel like you are in the wilderness. And in those moments, what does worship look like? According to David, it looks like a craving, a longing, a burning for God. He's in the wilderness. God seems to be distant, but David still desires to be with God. There are other times in our life when we will savor. There's times when we'll be in the wilderness and we'll crave, and there's other times when we will, we will be able to savor. We will be in his presence. God will draw near to us, and in those moments, we are to savor who God is. David talks about being satisfied, being able to meditate, clinging to God. Throughout the psalm, there's times when he seems distant, and there's times when God seems near. And, and that's what worship looks like when God is near. When you're not in the wilderness and you're in the sanctuary, what, what do we do to worship God? We feast on God. And as we give ourselves in worship to him, we will find that we are satisfied in him. St. Augustine said it like this, God, you have made us for ourselves. For yourself, sorry. You have made us for yourself. And we are restless until we find rest in you. When we rest in God, we savor those times. God is the object of worship for David, regardless if he's in the sanctuary or if he's in the worship. Both express his delight, his love for God. Now, as we consider who God is and what God has done, there is a danger when it comes to worship, right? Look, verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David is clear. God is more valuable than life itself. He clearly delights in who God is. He delights in what God has done, what God offers him, how he preserves him, protects him, provides for him. He offers him shelter. But David wanted God, and this is an important distinction, and this is where some of us can slip up sometimes. David wanted God more than he wanted God's gifts. He wanted God himself. He desires God more than his gifts, the things that he gives him. And this is a real danger. I want you to think of awesome things in life, 
The things maybe for you that bring great joy. Perhaps it's family. It could be spending time with friends. Maybe the awesome things in life is like summertime, you think of, you know, what you guys do on 4th of July, maybe vacation, road trips, how you spend time with your family, right? Maybe what your daily routine is. What are the things that you do throughout the day that really give you life, that you enjoy doing? Those are not bad things, but we can look at those things and say those are gifts from God, time with family. It's a gift from God. These are good gifts that he lavishes on us. Books, art, think of your career, right? I think of especially life in Iowa City during the summer, right? In the school year, you cannot find a parking spot. I love Iowa City in the summer because all the college students just poof, they go away. And it's like God just opens up one parking space after another downtown. It's an amazing thing. I love Iowa City summers. They're great times. It's a gift. That parking space, Greg, is a gift from God. It is, right? But, but the danger is, is that we can take these wonderful gifts that God lavishes on his children, that he gives to you and that he gives to me, the gift of life. We can take them and we can replace our love for God with our love for these gifts. I, I can think of this past, um, just a couple weeks ago, I was at a baseball game at City Park and I was coaching one of my sons and he was playing baseball. I got there a little bit early. We, we rode in two different vehicles and it was probably third or so inning and and he was on the mound pitching. He was on the mound pitching, and I was in the dugout. And uh, there was just this moment where I, where I looked and I saw him, and I was like, that is, this is so fun. Like, the, the weather was beautiful. It was, it was before the heat wave came. It was just a beautiful night. And then I looked up, and I saw one of my other sons, Zachary, running through City Park with a fishing pole in one hand and a tackle box in another hand. Like, he was running to the pond to go catch him some fish. And I just looked over there, and I thought, it's my boy. Go, go get you some, right? Get you some fish. Like, it was just, it was great. I love the fact that he loves to fish. And, then, and then, then just a few minutes later, I saw my a beautiful wife and two beautiful girls walking up the sidewalk, and they just looked beautiful. And I just this moment, right? There's this moment where I could just feel like my heart, like this, this is awesome. Like this boy pitching in a baseball game, bringing in fish, my beautiful girls walking on a beautiful summer night. This is awesome. This is awesome. In that moment, in that moment, there is a significant danger. Right? If my love, if my desire extends out, sees them, and just rests on my family and the gift that they are in my life, that's a danger. Right? It can easily turn into idolatry. Very easily. Those gifts, those gifts from God, what they should do and what they did in that moment and made them even more worth it, was, was they, in my heart, began to stir my affections and my love for God. Because that's the kind of God that I have. And he pours out his love on us. And as we consider the gifts in our life, like if we tether our heart to them, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Because those things are of this earth. And we were not made for this earth, right? But we need to follow them, as John Piper would say, follow them up the beam to, to God who, who gave them for us and let our hearts well up in worship. You and I were designed to be worshipers. We are lovers at our core. He made us, and until we put our trust and find our rest 
in him who we were made for, we will be restless. So just a challenge this week for you quickly before, we, before I pray would be to think of those gifts that God has given you. I want you to think specifically of worship outside of this building, outside of this time frame, 1030 to 1130, 45, whatever it is on Sunday morning. And what does worship look like for you? Are you able to worship God where you're working? You should be able to. If he is an all-consuming, if he is the addiction of your life, the center love of your life, then, then he doesn't get checked when you punch in and come back in when you clock out, right? He is consuming you. He should be controlling the words that are coming out of your mouth. The way you, you, you operate when somebody is, is being a stinker in your family or at work, right? Lord knows there's plenty of, sometimes it's maybe even you. I don't know, right? When you're at the gym, when you're in the neighborhood, when you're in your home, in the garden. Like, can you find times when you see those gifts that God has brought down and given you? And does it stir your affection, not for the gift, but for the giver. That's ultimately what worship is, folks. It's the natural, it's the delightful response to who God is and to what God has done. And he has done a great thing, the greatest demonstration of his love. If you're sitting here thinking, man, I'm in the wilderness right now. Right? I, haven't, I have hardly any gifts that I can even identify in my life. Everything's going wrong, right? Well, the greatest demonstration of his love, the greatest gift that he has given is that he has, he has sent his son to die for you because he loves you so much. You think about David in the past and his history? David brought some baggage to the table, right? And it didn't keep God's love from him. And so whatever you're doing this morning, whatever's going on in your heart and in your life, God's love, God's love can't be held back by that. He extends his love to you. And our position as his followers as his children, is to receive it and to delight in it. Have you received his life, his love? We pray for us. Father God, thank you just this morning for just your word, just for this awesome psalm, Lord. And um, just even now, Lord, as we continue worship here this morning, um, form of song, Lord, I pray that you would help us to reflect on our lives, Father, and on your grace and on your mercy, on your love, Lord. And I pray that we would be able to say with David that your steadfast love is better than life. And as a result, Father, I pray in this next few moments, Lord, that our lips will praise you, that we will cry out to you, Lord. You are an awesome and great God, Father. And Lord, I pray whatever is competing for, for that center part in our heart, Lord, whether it's money or, or relationships or the Hawkeyes or the Cubs or whatever it is, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would regain that center place that is, that is reserved for you in our hearts and lives, Father. I pray you give us the strength, the courage, Lord, to um, spend time with you, to foster that love with you, to extend and share that love with those around us, Father. Lord, I thank you that you're a good God who loves us, Lord, and I pray that you would be pleased just in the next few minutes with the worship that we give you. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.